2: in 2022. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
0: We continue to open this economy slowly, but it's coming back.
3: I want to know what the theme is going to be for Republicans.
2: I can't imagine a more important person in Washington right now than Senator Joe Manchin.
3: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We made it. Greetings from Bloomberg headquarters in New York, the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. Indeed, I am Joe Matthew, your new host here on Bloomberg Sound On, and thanks for coming along this Thursday. It's a great honor for me to join you and the incredible team here at Bloomberg with a special tip of the hat to Emily Wilkins and Jack Fitzpatrick, who have helped to keep this program afloat the past few weeks, along with our contributors. She and Zeno and Rick Davis, I've enjoyed listening to them and learning from them just like you, and we're going to continue to tap their experience as we move forward here on Sound On. This program will follow the same principles it always has to bring you hard news from Washington, policy over politics, and as you'll hear conversations with the people who make decisions that affect your life and move the markets. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Sound on. Welcome. To Thursday and welcome to Bloomberg Radio, President Biden, as you heard live earlier, emerged from his meeting with the Prime Minister with a big announcement on the global fight against COVID.
4: The United States will purchase an additional half billion doses from Pfizer, Pfizer vaccine that will donate nearly 100 low- and lower-middle-income countries. They will be the beneficiaries. We announced that we would donate 80 million doses of our own vaccine in-house now to supply the world by the end of June. Many of these doses are shipping to countries around the world as we speak. And today, we're taking a major step that will supercharge the global fight against this pandemic.
3: Supercharged. From President Biden's sound as he spoke to reporters in Cornwall, Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove was there, our White House correspondent who's on the road with the administration. And he joins us now on Bloomberg Sound on Greetings, Josh. I get the sense, having seen you and heard you on surveillance this morning, that you never sleep.
5: <laughs> uh, I, tr- I do and I can, Joe. And hearty congratulations <laughs> on your new role. We're thrilled to have you uh Thank and you, you know you got a good news day to kick it off well with, so that's right news.
3: let's get to it because you've been making the news here and i've been following you uh all day here the the vaccine shots these are pfizer doses will go to 92 countries in need obviously a big step in vaccinating people who have not had access to these vaccines the president though, referred several times josh to american values in making his announcement almost a, a big public relations campaign for the united states
5: yeah he had been under increasing pressure in particular from countries that don't have access to the kind of doses that the u.s has had access to right biden has gobbled up doses made on u.s soil uh boris johnson has done the same thing in the uk other countries including some in the g7 japan canada uh, have been, you know, sitting there wishing they had that that option, that luxury, and so now he has been facing this mounting pressure. We've got doses in the U.S., maybe even expiring, at risk of expiring. You can walk into any CVS pretty much and get a shot. So, you know, he the, the time had come for him to sort of make a decision. Now, the big mm-hmm. top line number here is 500 million. What they're doing here is actually kind of redirecting money. They kicked off this whole thing months ago by saying 4 billion to Covax. That's a global sort of vaccine procurement effort and they, uh, they they gave two and they were going to hold back the other two as bait on the line what they've done instead is take that other two and use it combine it with some other money to get these 500 million doses so they're sort of pulling back on giving money and pivoting to giving these Pfizer doses which were made in Kal- Kalamazoo excuse me Michigan That's right. so uh, an American American story
3: the president referred to his visit to the plant there not that long ago uh, and said the vaccines would come with no strings attached with a little bit of a a nod to China there but he urged other countries to follow the US here Josh and I wonder who is he talking about
5: I mean he's gonna talk about the UK a little bit in the medium term he might be talking about other countries in the EU you know I think he's actually risking a little bit uh, being too cute by half here right like the reason he can do this is because he hasn't really exported until now at all Mm -hmm. he loaned about 4 million doses to Canada and Mexico but until two weeks ago that was it so you know if you're Europe who has been exporting this whole time although not in numbers anywhere near 500 million uh you're, you might say well welcome to the party you know <laughs> it's like, this might be a bit much but regardless mm-hmm. the money they've given to kovacs is the most of any country even when they've cut it in half the 500 million doses donated is by far the most because other countries like china are selling doses and so biden is really pivoting hard here and he just he has he has the doses to do it. The the the, the wrinkle is Pfizer, as, as people who have been paying attention to this know, and if you have and condolences, it's been a slog these last six months, uh, is the toughest to store, the toughest to ship. It requires the coldest temperatures. So there's a bit of an X factor. You've got 92 of the most sort of hard-done-by countries in the world. And so there's a big supply chain question here about how this will all work.
3: We're talking on Bloomberg Sound on today with Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove, who's clearly traveling with the president. I hate to be uh, jaded here, Josh, but I work in the news business. Would this be happening if we weren't experiencing a major downturn in vaccination rates here at home?
5: Uh, Probably not. And they're worried about that. Biden's goal is 70 percent having one shot by the July 4th. Right. He wants to celebrate Independence Day, independence from the virus. They are not on pace. To get there, their lump pace to fall somewhere like 67%. I mean, he'll probably take it as a half win. You know, he'll say, well, this number of states have hit 70, and the country will hit 70 probably this month. We're going to run through the tape, what have you. But, uh, you know, I think I think he the only reason he's doing this is because he knows that they have so many doses swimming around the U.S. right now that no one can credibly be to say that, oh, I wanted a dose, but I couldn't get one because we gave a bunch to these 92 countries. Yeah.
3: I'd like to ask you more about the President's meeting with uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson while you're with us here, Josh, despite some concerns. Uh, it was all pleasantries when the two first sat down. This is sound from their pool spray, and you, I believe you were in the room for this. Everybody was pretty happy at the moment. told
4: so the Prime Minister we have something in common. We're both married way above our station. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not going <laughs> to
6: dissent from that one. I'm not going to disagree with the President now, or indeed on anything else.
3: Or on anything else, remembering that Joe Biden once called Boris Johnson a clone of Donald Trump, opposed Brexit. (laughs) Josh, do we think the pleasantries continued behind closed doors?
5: I I think so because they need each other. And I should clarify: my our our esteemed Bloomberg colleague Jennifer Jacobs was in that room. Uh, We are a dynamic duo covering this trip. I, I think, look, Boris has borrowed a lot from Trump's playbook. So has Biden. I mean, a lot of the America First stuff has kept in place, in particular for Europe around tariffs. And so, you know, he wants to consolidate vaccine manufacturing in the U.S., create U.S. jobs, onshore stuff, pull away from China, you know, gather European allies, sort of link arms, and, and push back against uh, Chinese uh, moves abroad, shall we say. You know, so I, I think I think these two are pretty incentivized to work together. The rub has been this border issue, the Good Friday Agreement, what does Brexit mean mm-hmm. for Northern Ireland in the U.K.? Biden is a proud... Uh, Irish Irishman you know it's it's an Irish Catholic and this has been a this has been a priority for him for sure and that caused a little bit of ruffled feathers here but uh, but uh, Boris Johnson took out a big bucket of water and tried to dust that today when he spoke so I think he's trying to take the tension down
3: I know you have to get back to work in just a second here Josh but what's going to be the biggest issue we're talking about G7 over the weekend is it corporate taxes or climate change
5: uh, I think it's both. The big question I'm looking at right now is that what the communique will say. They're, for instance, talking about things like phasing out electric or, excuse me, gas-powered cars. We'll look for language on that. Will new climate pledges come through? I generally don't hold my breath on things. And will other countries go, come through with new vaccine donations? We'll see. But I don't think anyone has the bandwidth to pledge the kind of numbers the U.S. is pledging.
3: Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove, thank you so much, Josh, for your time. And good luck on the road. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. You're on Bloomberg Sound On. And by the way, his colleague, our colleague, Jennifer Jacobs, Bloomberg White House correspondent, who was in the room uh, for that moment, you heard, will be with us tomorrow on Sound On as we follow the bouncing ball here through the G7 meeting. And we're just getting started here today as we now add none other than Jeannie, she and Zeno to the conversation. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie, it's great to see you. Welcome. Thank you for everything that you have done to make this a great program over the past few months.
0: As Charlie said, I'm giving you a fist bump, and it is so great (laughs) to be on with you on your inaugural show, first show on Bloomberg Radio. Thank you for having me. Well, that
3: means a lot to me. We covered a lot of ground there with Josh as you were listening. I think it's significant that President Biden chose to make news on vaccines before the G7 begins.
0: It is. You know, this is something the United States has been criticized for. I think you were right in your question to Josh. Would this have been happening if the United States hadn't seen COVID numbers go down? And of course, we have a surplus. If they're not used, they could go to waste. So I think those two factors are critical. But the United States has to catch up with China and Russia in terms of getting these vaccines out to these Poorer countries and the president is determined to do that and make news on his first overseas trip doing that and it's an important step
3: Does that create uh, a different backdrop for this meeting? Uh, with the leaders of the g7 nations than we would have had otherwise
0: it does you know i look at this as the big three c's you've got covid you've got china and you've got climate and of Mm. course climate encompasses all the other things including electric vehicles which is something i know you're you're focused on and interested in and also of course the corporate tax so those are big issues but COVID hangs over everything we do and has for the last year, and it will continue to as the world wrestles with how to respond to this devastation. And the president's remarks today, you look at the numbers yes, who right. have been deceased and, and, and around the world by this thing, it is, it is you know hard to even put your head around it.
3: As he reminds us, all the, the modern wars, wars of modern history combined, uh, when we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, When you also hear him talk, though, you realize how far we have to go. I think that's the point you're making. You know, we're walking around New York in many cases without masks. They're doing that in Washington now and cities around this country. But it's a reminder of how much is left to be done.
0: Particularly in these countries that don't have the benefit of the economy we do and the ability we've had to battle this. And that is the big struggle.
1: Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes,
2: 247.
1: Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the
3: smartest.
1: Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's in Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's in Einstein with Salesforce.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound
2: On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
3: Indeed, I am Joe Matthew, and it's great to be here. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm in the studio today with Bloomberg politics contributor, Jeannie Shein Zaino. Of course, the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. I won't be able to be in here all that often, so I'm making the best of it right now. Joining us on the line Sound On, Jay Stephen Morrison, Senior Vice President and Director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies as we take a deeper dive on this promise from President O'Biden to deliver some half-a-billion Pfizer doses to countries around the world. It's great to have you with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Thank you, Joe. Are you skeptical of this? How much of a climb will this be for the administration?
2: No, I'm not skeptical. I'm quite encouraged. This is a big step. Um, committing to half-a-billion doses, Keeping, if you put this in context uh, the United States, up to this point, had committed to 80 million doses by the end of June. Uh, that was considered fairly modest. Uh, the other wealthy and most powerful countries in the world have been very slow to step forward and make donations of their surplus doses. Uh, so this is a bi- this is a big event coming right before the G7. It's also significant for a couple of other reasons. I mean it. First of all, it's the Pfizer, the MRNA mm-hmm. uh, vaccine. So uh, this is uh, moving that to scale into low- and middle-income countries. There are lots of handling requirements. It's a bold move by Albert Berla from Pfizer to amp that up and deliver it. Um, and it's uh, the president is, is out there showing that he's confident he can sell this to the American people, emphasizing 64% of adult Mar- Americans have had at least one one vaccine uh there's been a lot of hesitation up to this point by president biden to get too far out in front on the international response he's come under a lot of pressure and criticism in the united states for that he's making his argument as a wartime arsenal mobilization Mm -hmm. as something that strengthens american manufacturing capacity and has a geopolitical dimension of going against china and russia he's already drawn Vocal support from two very prominent Republican Senate figures, Senator Graham and Senator Sass. That's very significant, too, because there's been a fear of a backlash on partisan grounds against the United States taking a leadership position of this kind. So he's covered himself quite well, I think, in the way this has been presented.
3: You make a great point, Stephen, that there was a time we were calling AstraZeneca the vaccine of the world. Then we called Johnson & Johnson the world's vaccine. Now, apparently, it's going to be Pfizer.
2: For now, that's what it's looking like. And what does that mean? It means that Pfizer is, in a way, winning the competition right now and being able to demonstrate that it can amp up its production capacities very rapidly. J&J has has struggled with that. AstraZeneca has struggled with that in particular. They'll catch up in time. Uh, but uh, this is this is proving uh, the concept that the mRNA vaccine, that technology, which is the most effective and safe among the new technologies, can be introduced on scale to low- and middle-income countries. This is comparable to, you remember, 25 years ago, the debate about can we bring antiretroviral therapy to people in East and Southern Africa hmm. to, to, to care for them, those people who are uh, living with HIV? And the argument being, well, it's, a it's too sophisticated a technology. We can't bring it, handle it, get it down to, to cost. Pfizer's offering this at cost to the United States at $7 a copy versus the $20 price tag that it's used up to now. In the sales to the United States and others, for the rich marketplaces. So we're moving into a different phase now, in both the operators that are that are moving into it. Pfizer in the lead, the moving towards mass bulk at reduced prices. That's very important. <laughs>
3: We're joined by Jay Stephen Morrison, Senior Vice President, Director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies today on Bloomberg Sound On. The optics here are really compelling to me, Stephen, uh, not the America first approach, but in fact, a pledge to help the world. And as you were just describing the have-nots uh, in this case, for President Biden to be walking into this G7 meeting, Uh, the messaging here is significant. It's, yes, America is back, but also it sounds like America is here to help.
2: Yes, and there's a couple of points here that reinforce your argument. These doses are going to go to what's called COVAX, which is a solidarity mechanism created by a bunch of donors and foundations and others, international organizations, WHO, GAVI, the Vaccine Alliance, in order to bring bring vaccines to low- and middle-income countries. So what the United States is doing is it's stepping forward and becoming the dominant uh, leading donor to a multilateral mechanism to bring these vaccines. It's saying we don't we don't care that these vaccines are going to go forward under a, a COVAX umbrella. They're not going to be branded as U.S. vaccines. They're vaccines that are being donated that will move forward. The other thing I would say is, Doing this with the timing that the president has chosen is also putting a lot of pressure back upon the EU, mm-hmm. the Canadians, uh, and the British, uh, to and the Japanese. Other members of the G7 to step forward and, and, and follow with the United States. We need to see 1 to 2 billion donated doses in 2021 alone. Welcome
3: to Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, and joined here in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio by Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shianzano, and of course, as well, as we promised, David Tafuri, former Obama campaign, former policy advisor, former State Department official. For starters, David, welcome. It's great to have you with us.
6: Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Jeannie, stay right where
3: you are as we have this conversation. Looking forward here to the G7 and also reflecting on the promise we heard today from President Biden and his vaccine pledge. I'd love to hear from you first, uh, David, on that as a matter of foreign policy. We've been talking about this largely as a health issue, almost a public relations uh, uh, effort here by the Biden administration. But when it comes to foreign policy, there is an element here of diplomacy and making people safe
6: there is this is one of the things that i expected you know we had a rough go of it with covid 19 at times we had more cases than any other country in the world but now as we've come on the other side of the pandemic as a result of our vaccine program and the fact that we've been able to roll out vaccines to many of our citizens the u.s now needs to step up and help foreign countries if if we don't it's actually going to boomerang back on us. Uh, there are many countries uh, in, in the third world countries that are on the verge of becoming failed states already. If they can't get a handle on the pandemic, it will put them further on the brink. But and even our allies, uh, including countries like India, are struggling. So we can help them, and by helping them, we can improve the world economy and speed up the recovery for the world economy, which is important to our own economy. So this is important both for our security and the global economy that we do provide vaccines to the extent we can to support those countries that are having trouble accessing them.
3: Jeannie, it's hard not to acknowledge the economic uh, aspect here because we cannot have a global recovery without global vaccinations. How much does this have to do with protecting America's economy by vaccinating the world?
0: It has everything to do with it. The United States understands, as does the rest of the world, that we all can't be safe until we are equally vaccinating the entire world. And so the United States is stepping into that. One thing I think is important to underscore here about what the president has said today is that the United States is going to do this with no strings attached, according to Joe Biden. And this he is trying to say is in sharp contrast to what China and Russia have done, where they've used this, uh, you know, world vaccination program that they have been pushing to further their own geopolitical interests. And he wants to make the case that the United States stands apart from that. We are going to be providing these vaccinations regardless of our own interests. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions there as we follow this rollout who gets these, when, how, yes. and why, because the no-strings-attached that he's put on this is a big promise to make. It's a
3: massive promise. David, to Fury, there are going to be a lot of sharp elbows, I'm assuming, like that, references to China over the next couple of days.
6: Well, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and this comes at an interesting time, of course, because President Biden is on his first overseas trip and meeting with our traditional european allies and one of the big subjects will be china and of course also russia Mm the purpose of this visit and it it has uh, multi-purposes but one of the main ones is to shore up the relationship with our allies so that we can have a common approach to the threats posed by russia and by china and it'll be interesting to see how biden exercises his new position to effectively Uh, demonstrate that America is back and America is back in the lead.
3: You mentioned the word relationship, and I want to refer back to what we saw and heard earlier today from President Biden as he spoke to one very important relationship following his bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. We have sound on President Biden.
4: We affirmed the special relationship, as is not said lightly, the special relationship between our people and renewed our commitment to defending the enduring democratic values that both our nation's share. Jeannie, what is
3: that relationship now? President Biden, if you saw some of the op-eds in London papers this morning, you know what he was walking into here. He's he's compared Boris Johnson to call him a clone of Donald Trump, opposed Brexit. There were op-eds waiting for him about that this morning, but everyone seemed to get along pretty well. What is that relationship now.
0: They did. And, and one thing I will say about Boris Johnson, which I think has been lost in some of, as you mentioned, the, the British press, which is itself mm. <laughs> can be very tough, That's is true. that Boris Johnson, for all his, you know, closeness to Donald Trump that we talk about, he also was amongst the first leaders to call and congratulate Joe Biden on his win. And he has, you know, made the case that he is supportive of the United States, not of any individual leaders. Leader. And so I think that's important to underscore. And you know, you're looking at, at two uh, two leaders in Boris Johnson and Joe Biden, who have been at this a long time, and who know that they have to think about what's in the best interest of their nations. And this relationship, obviously, between Great Britain and the United States, as they talk about the Atlantic Charter 80 years ago in 1941, yes. and, and a new Atlantic Charter for the 21st century today, they understand the import of this relationship. So. As, you know, tough as the words were back during the election and even a little bit after that, and the concerns Biden has expressed about Northern Ireland and so many other things, these two gentlemen, these leaders know how important this relationship is, and they seem prepared to move forward on that. So I think the papers are going to have to, you know, Hmm. at least be a little bit more optimistic about what's coming down the pike here.
3: (laughs) David DeFiori, we have less than one minute, 30 seconds here. Are these two world leaders going to work together and collaborate? Over the next several years?
6: Absolutely, they are. You know, Boris Johnson has an eccentric personality, and that's one thing he has in common with President Trump. But in many ways, he's not like President Trump. He didn't engage in the same anti democratic behavior that Trump did. And so they will find a common bond.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on
3: Bloomberg Radio. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On. We're live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio in New York. Indeed, I am Joe Matthew, the new guy, and awfully glad that you're here with us. And we have breaking news today on Sound On with an eye on Washington and infrastructure. Get this, $1.2 trillion over eight years. A bipartisan group of senators agreeing to a proposed infrastructure package to that tune There'd be $579 billion in new spending above baseline spending. The cost, $974 billion. You do the math, and it's not close to the original offer, of course, from the White House that was in excess of $2 trillion. We're going to talk about this now with Bloomberg Politics contributor, Jeannie sheehan She's still with us, as is David Tafuri, former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor, former State Department official. Before we hear from them, I want to hear from White House press secretary Jen Saki, because there is no deal here. We have obviously breaking news and a direction, but the deal that we thought might be in place fell apart. And Saki tells ABC News that when you're being criticized from all sides, whether it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or a group of Republican senators, it means progress. We have a lot of paths we're moving on, and the president's quite encouraged by the progress, and he'll stay very engaged in this even as he's on his first overseas
2: trip. It's always a sign that we're making some progress if there's criticism from all sides.
3: I remember telling people that, you know, as a broadcaster, Jeannie, like, well, you know, if they all hate you, you're doing something right. But is that true here? And do you see a path with $1.2 trillion over eight years? Mitt Romney is also now suggesting a way to pay for it.
0: He is. And, you know, I I wish that that was the case, that if they're all criticizing you, you're moving towards a deal. But this is really a question of numbers. They need to get 10 Republicans to do this without reconciliation or they've got to retain the mansions and cinemas of the world to do it with the Democrats. and. On reconciliation. Plus, they've got to maintain the liberals in the House as well. We can't forget about them. So it's difficult. It's a good sign that they're up to 1.2, this so called group of 20. That's up. They were at about 880 billion before. So they are moving in the right direction. But of course, as you mentioned, they're still about 500 billion short of the president's last offer, which was 1.7 trillion. We've got the president overseas, as you've been talking about. And, you know, he's got people negotiating, obviously, on his behalf. But the clock is working against them they'll only be in session a couple weeks in july so they've got about five to seven weeks to get this done and then of course we've got a budget to to consider and those kinds of things to keep the government open in september so the clock is ticking they've got to move fast
3: david to Fury, uh, mitt romney isn't exactly the most influential republican voice on capitol hill i don't know how many friends he's going to make uh, with this particular idea but i wonder if you see any chance of this happening in the next couple of weeks
6: well Mitt Romney has really carved out a position for himself as a, a, a deal maker and someone who's willing to compromise and uh, go across the aisle. And I think that's you know, consistent with what he's doing now. Uh, I agree with Jeannie that, you know, sometimes it, it is a good thing if, if every, people on the left, far left and people on the far right are criticizing you're, you're doing something right. But here it really is about the numbers and Biden can't afford to lose the far left. Uh, He's already unhappy, and the far left is unhappy with aspects of this new compromise uh, suggestion. It's much less than Biden originally proposed. And, you know, the the senators and House members who push forward this compromise haven't even worked out how they're going to pay for it. And the pay-for part of this is particularly problematic. There doesn't yet seem to be agreement. And what's really unfortunate is that the inability to get a deal on infrastructure is holding back Biden from pursuing the rest of his agenda in Congress. Jeannie?
0: I was just going to say, going back to what we were talking about with with Biden overseas, I mean, he was saying yesterday, and I'm quoting him here, it falls to us to prove that democracies will not just endure, but they will excel. We have to discredit those who believe that the age of democracy is over. And yet what's going on at home is not helping him make his case. And infrastructure is a key, but not the only example of that. We also have voting rights. We also have gun control, a variety of issues. We have a crisis at the border and Joe Biden has made infrastructure the top priority of his administration next to COVID. And so this is critically important to him to make this case, not just in the United States, but across the world that democracies can do. And I I think he's got to be very concerned with the fact we don't have a bill to put forward yet. A lot of talk, but no bill yet on infrastructure. Mm
3: -hmm. So the president's walking a real tightrope here. Obviously, you move to the right, you lose the left, you move to the left, you lose the right. (laughs) But with all of that said, uh, David, there's not a lot of time here and a lot of promises have been made.
6: Yeah, there's not a lot of time here. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the the victims here are the American people. We do need infrastructure. Um, We, you know, are in grave need of infrastructure. Well, let me ask you about that. Is the
3: biggest problem here defining infrastructure? Has that. If we could go back in time, if the Biden administration could go back in time and recast the way this was described as more than roads, bridges and tunnels, would this be a different conversation?
6: I think that would help, but I suspect that the Republican detractors who don't want to pass a bill for reasons other than just what's in the bill would find ways to oppose it if if they had done that as well. So this is more than about what's in you know the compromise it's really also politics
3: i remember uh during the health care debate a long time ago uh in another administration that joe biden was part of genie that i remember president obama saying you know we just didn't do a good enough job with the communications if we could go back and recast the messaging somehow it would have been a different debate and maybe a, a more positive a more bipartisan outcome
0: He he did absolutely say that. You know, I am not convinced that that is the case. However, I think this has a lot less to do. We always talk about the communication aspect of these things. But the reality is, is the government was designed to be divided and it has continued to be divided. I'm not just talking partisan divides. I'm talking about the fact that we have elections. People go to the polls. They vote for Joe Biden and the Democrats and they can't get basic aspects of their policy through that's by design so yes you know everybody can do better on messaging but in this case i don't think it's either personality or necessarily communication i think this is the way the system is built and they're going to have to figure out a way to move forward on this i don't know that they're going to be able to do it at this point and i think that bodes very badly for democrats as we move into the midterm
3: well this is the way the system is built unless you remove the filibuster then we have a new system then is that where you're going
0: well, yeah, the filibuster is one aspect of it. And of course, that's not constitutional. That's a Senate rule. So you can change that easily. Yes. Even so, we have a huge division between Congress and the executive branch that you're not seeing in other democracies around the world. So there's a lot of structural divisions built into our system, thanks to James Madison, that if you can start to, you know, mitigate those, at least, you'd have better ability to be responsive to the public who go out and vote for these people and yeah. don't see their favored policies come to fruition.
3: Great points there, David Tafuri. If this one point two trillion dollar offer or attempt at a deal goes nowhere, is it on to reconciliation?
6: I I'm not sure. I'm, I I really don't know. You know, reconciliation. There's some dangers with doing it that way. Mm-hmm. You certainly lose the, the friends that you have in the Senate who are Republicans huh. who are somewhat supportive. Of this, um, so it's it, there's a, a real danger there, but this is an, you know one of the most important pieces of the Biden agenda, and his supporters in the Democratic Party in the House and Senate really want this to pass. So maybe in the Senate they do go forward that way.
3: And the end of the filibuster is a bridge too far, or could we be talking about that in a couple of weeks?
6: I. <laughs> Again, that, that's a, also a really tough It's dramatic question. stuff. It would be I a big change. There's real danger to ending the filibuster. Obviously, that would, you know, in, in the end, it would hurt Democrats if and when in the future they are no longer in the majority. The Republicans would certainly shove that down their throats. Uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So I think everyone is wary. You know, the filibuster uh, has, you know, you know, it has often served you know good purposes in our you know congressional system. It's forced the Senate to move further toward consensus and to get you know bipartisan support for legislation, which you need for it to be successful. And I would hate to see it go. But if there continues to be gridlock, I could see. You know, some in the senate pushing for that
3: yeah we're in for a heck of a year here we only have a minute left this thursday edition of bloomberg sound on just to look ahead briefly to tomorrow and the weekend g7 uh Jeannie, what's the big one that you're looking at is it climate change is it corporate taxes or is it something else
0: I am looking at climate change. I think climate and China uh, also are the the two. I'm back to the three C's. I'm setting COVID aside, though, for a minute. But I do think think climate and China are the two big things I'm looking for. And what agreements, because, of course, there's a lot of division amongst the European nations on how to confront China. So that is going to be fascinating.
3: David, will there be news on either of those this weekend?
6: I'm not sure. What I'm actually most interested in is what's going to happen on Russia because you know biden is meeting with our allies and then he's going into you know his a historic summit with putin in geneva uh you know this mm-hmm. is the first summit since uh, 2018 when president trump really embarrassed us in his summit with putin and biden has to demonstrate he can do better and in order to do that he's gonna have to have the support of our allies in Europe.
3: And the g7 is the appetizer david thank you david to former obama campaign foreign policy advisor former state department official With us here on Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Bathew. This is Bloomberg.